Hello guys, welcome back. I have been living my best life, not really just working, and I'm back with the podcast. Today I have a special guest and we're talking about the black vote. I'll have him introduce himself before we begin. Hey, hey, yeah, so my name is Denny Sampasa. I am 36 36 years old. I was born in Uganda. Mm -hmm. Uh, My family moved to Lesotho when I was really young, but for the most part grew up in the U.S., New Orleans, Louisiana. However, I did go to high school in Uganda for three years at Kawaja Secondary School. And then after that, I came back to the U.S., to college, you guys call it university here in Canada at Marquette University. Worked for a long time and then uh, met my wife actually in Houston when I was living in Houston and moved out to uh, the GTA area about almost six years ago now. So, yeah. 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 So, you know, I I work in the uh, financial services industry here, but when I was in school, my major was political science uh, as well as I had a double major with economics. So, uh, I am a what you might call a self-described political junkie. Mm, so this should be fun. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, how was boarding school in Uganda, especially for you, uh, Bazungu's something? <laughs> yeah, how was it? I had a terrible experience, but you tell me how yours went. So mine, I think, was was about. There was a lot of, it was a metamorphosis, like from the concept of when I first got there, it was a complete culture shock. Having grown up in the U.S. and just having a different approach to things. Like I, I, I was sit there, one of those kids were like, you know, the African parents have their, their kid that's raised in the U.S. And so mm-hmm. they're trying to like get them back on, on the track they believe is right. Cause I was getting a lot of trouble in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went to school, I don't really do one other person in the school. It was my cousin. You know, it was, it was different. Like when I first got there to struck, like, you know, having like learned how to wash clothes by hand and, you know, showers and stuff. Like it was, it was different. Like, you know, like being on a farm, like being around all these kids, like all the whole time and only having visitation. In a lot of ways, it felt like prison, if I'm not going to be honest with you. You know, yeah. because, but it was one of those things where I adapted well. I'm thankful for it. Like it was, you know, I you started learning how to take advantage of, of particular things that you have. So I, if, when I first got there, I was washing my own clothes and I realized, oh, I could pay somebody to do it. I was always definitely treated differently to your point, like about the Bazungus. Like, yeah, people saw me and my cousin coming from the U.S. Mm-hmm. and we were treated different. You know, I was fortunate mm-hmm. in the school I went to. wasn't just Ugandans. It were Tanzanians, Kenyans in the school. So we're exposed to like East African, a lot of Rwandese as well. So we're exposed to a lot of like different cultures from East Africa, mm-hmm. which is cool. But you know, like you, anytime you're in a situation where like, you know, you have a boy's dorm or a girl's dorm, there are a lot of adventures. Like we, you know, some that my mom wouldn't want to know about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some that she'd probably be proud of. My, my bro. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh Lord. No, but Kabuja is, is not. Horrible. Like your parents didn't send you to like Chibuli or like <laughs> Jiko. You know those ones. That now that is jail. <laughs> right, and, and so right. And part of it though too is perspective too. Right, because my mom went to Chibuli, right? Ooh. But like, but I think for me, my parents like having known what it was like. Like even though like for me, I was like, oh my god, this is hell. I didn't realize at the time that like I was in kind of like the upper echelon in schools in terms of facilities and what was available to us compared to mm-hmm. you know other schools like to your point like Chibuli and stuff where the food they were eating was nothing like what we were eating. Like mm-hmm. they were probably pushing beans. They were lucky if there were no bean weevils in, in, in their pushing beans. Yeah. For us, like yeah. we had rice and chicken and you know oh, beef. They like, had was, meat. Oh God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like yeah, it was like right, we had you know. Morning tea, evening tea, all that stuff, and so mm-hmm. it, was, it was different. When you come from here, it's like, ah, oh, this is this is hell. Yeah, <laughs> no, I can imagine. I, you know, I've thought about. I'm I'm getting older, so I've thought about having children, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I when I was growing up, like I didn't disobey my parents, but I know my children will because they're being <laughs> raised here. Yeah, like. 
And I'm just like, I want, I think I'll send them back to Uganda too, but I'm also scared. Because I went to boarding school in Uganda. I started out going to international school, which was fun. Mm-hmm. But when my parents separated, my father was like, ah, 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 no, you're going to go to Ugandan schools. So that was a horrific. So what school did you go to? I went to Chirika. It was primary school. Mm-hmm. I went to Chirika Grammar School. Mm-hmm. And it was terrible. Like, oh my God. Like, it was horrible. They didn't allow my long hair, so I had to shave my head. Oh, yeah. That's Uganda all day. So that was a bit of a trauma. And then Chiboko, like, all the time. All the time. Wow. Being disciplined. So- so one thing I would say that I was fortunate about is I went to a school where, like, it was a new school. When I first, when I got to Kwaju, we were the first S1 class, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think some of the teachers, they, they weren't sure kind of how to approach kids because we had, we had a lot of well-to-do kids in our school. Mm-hmm. But still, I think in the culture of, like, where Chiboko is a thing, like, you know, adults will just, will do that. They'll try it at least. Uh, I had a couple of teachers try it, and then, you know, I, my response was in a way to which I let them know in no certain, certain terms that they weren't going to try it again. Like, I was going to fight. Like, we, me, like, you're not just going to show up to me and, like, think you're going to whip me with this cane. Like, no, we're going to fight. And to a point where, like, they're like, yeah, with that, that, that kid, we're not going to mess with him like that. We'll try other things. We'll call his, his dad, but they're not going to try that. So. Yeah, I, I, and that was the American in me was like, man, who do you think you are? Like the, the yeah. kind of like that. Like I think if I had grown up in Uganda, I probably might have been more accepting and like, okay, well, this is how it is. But mm-hmm. for me, that's not how it was. So I was like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, and it's good your parents took it to like a less intense. School. Yeah, but I think now Uganda has adopted the corporal punishment. Because there was a time when kids were literally, like, fainting or, like, dying. Wow. They were taking things too far. I don't hear about it now, to be honest. So I right. think I think they've stopped. I think. Right. But the, the other part, though, too, is, like, in secondary school, at least, like, the school is run by the prefects. It's not really run by the teachers. Like, a teacher might try you, like, in class. Mm-hmm. But typically, like, more people, like, get in, like, that kind of discipline. Mm-hmm. It's like in the dorms, to be honest with you. It's like, it's the, your, your classmates. Like, if you have a head boy or whatever, like, he's going to be one to, to, like, approach you about something. Primary school is definitely the teachers that are, that are kind of running the campus. So. Well, that's, that's really interesting. I'm thinking I will also send my, but me, I want to send my children to the village. I don't want you to be there, like, enjoying life in Kampala when you have been here. But there's that. I would say that there's value in everything, whether you send them to the village or what, even if they, they live a quote unquote high, like high life, there's still certain things that, that are going to be almost like put into their system that you can't put into a system growing up here. You know, like just like the sense of whether it's self-worth about understanding where you come from, mm-hmm. um, about having pride in who you are, because I would, to me, that was the biggest thing for me was getting more a sense of pride where I came from because when you're here and like things are probably different now with Afrobeats and stuff but growing up as an African child mm-hmm. in America was different because you got all the jokes the African booty scratching jokes the yeah. you know were you chasing lions and hyenas when you were in Africa they have TVs where you come from and mm-hmm. all the jokes you know so like it, it's it's different now where I think it's being African is more acceptable now versus mm-hmm. there so but like so for me to go there like having Almost depleted self self uh, self worth because all I heard was jokes. You know, like you didn't hear too much positivity about being from the continent or even your skin color and everything. But getting there and seeing other diff all these different beautiful shades, people like me, and they're like proud of their tribe. You know, they're like yeah, you know, I'm Uganda, I'm Uganda, whatever. Yeah, that is something that I think was was huge for me. Yes, yes. Uganda is definitely very big on tribes. And I, every tribe has their own dance, their own food, yeah. their own village. So, right. yeah. No, it, it was great growing up around the shore and also speaking. Do you speak Luganda or? I do. Do you actually? Yeah. 
Does it sound? <laughs> no, that's a problem. Like so, like I, like I, I. It's hard. For, so here's a, here's other problem. Is I speak English, I speak Spanish, and I speak Ugandan. But I understand. But I, like I'm also like that's because I grew up in the South where I was exposed to Spanish a lot. Mm-hmm. I started taking Spanish from like the fourth grade. So for me, when I like process information mm-hmm. in a different language, my first language is obviously English. My second language is gonna be Spanish. And then because I haven't been, I'm not in the, in the setting where like I'm here in Uganda like all the time at least outside mm-hmm. when I was in Uganda. Uh, Uganda is like third, so I can speak it, but like sometimes like my pronunciation or something is gonna be off, and people know like yeah you you know you you don't this isn't some language you speak every day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even the way you said your last name, I'll say, "Oh, okay." But no, that's good. Ugandans. I mean, there's Ugandans are so they love when Bazungus speak Uganda. They're like, "Oh my!" I'm surprised. Do they like imitate you? I know, like. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. I heard this white woman on a taxi one time being like, "Masao," and I was like, "What the <laughs> hell?" <laughs> it looks even like, more different now. Like, Everybody I'm, imitated her after that. Mm-hmm. No, but like, but like, because now, like, with the, the kind of Asian revolution in Uganda, with uh, more Chinese and, and people from uh, from the Orient, like, showing up in Uganda mm-hmm. and hearing them speak Uganda, you know, it's interesting. It's but you know, it's crazy. There's an interview I watched of a white man like speaking Uganda. I was like, so you guys just won't let us have anything, like. <laughs> You want, you have taken over, you're, you, now you also want to speak Uganda. Now we can't backbite them. Right. I, every time I'm in Entebbe, my, my relatives are like, you cannot say Muzungu, they know what that means. Oh yeah, everybody knows what that means. Okay. Like, <laughs> but today we're talking about the black vote. For people who don't know what that means, can you give a little bit of background in what that term is and how it came to be? I found that it came it became really popular last year during the Trump uh, outgoingness when he was, mm-hmm. you know, kind of leaving. But what is the black vote? It's interesting. It, it has a connotation of like black people being this sort of monolith, which mm-hmm. I would say there's some fair and unfair points that. So black people out of all the different like, political, I guess, sections that you like, sometimes people might look at like gender. Or they might look at race. They might look at uh, economic situation. When you have analysts that are looking at ways like certain voting blocks, black people, especially really within the context of the United States, tend to be the most, almost the closest to being homogenous as possible. Where like black people as a whole, as a block, will vote for a similar candidate. Right. So whether it's the Democratic candidate in in, in whole right now or back in the 1870s after Reconstruction, where it was a Republican vote, black people for a long time have tended to, to vote like that. But it's not just black people. When you look at uh, there's a Jewish vote, right, there's an Asian-American vote, there's a Hispanic vote. But the difference is that those tend to be a little bit more segmented, whereas black black people as a whole tend to be. Typically in the United States, about 85 to 90 percent of them voting for Democratic candidates. So, yeah, but, but that but that has also, like I said, uh, changed throughout time. Right. Why? There, I've noticed like there's always been like an obsession with blackness and obsession with black culture. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that seeps into the obsession with with the black vote as well? Because last year, that is all I heard: the black vote, the black vote, the black vote. Even Biden kind of taking things a little too far. I don't know if you. Where he said, "If you're black and you don't vote for Democrat, then what are you? Are you really black? Something like yeah. that." Yes, yes, yeah. and he kept saying a lot of like really problematic things after that. Why has it become like such a phenomenon for like in this day and age? Because black people have always been around mm-hmm. and I'm sure have always voted, but why particularly do you think re- most recently there's this obsession with black people voting and black would, people voting Democrat? Well, I would say it like this that. When you look at like voting statistics, like over the years, uh, the one thing that has kind of started to happen more so in the last, I'd say, 30 years 
is a polarization of the voting demographic to where, you know, like you have people that will own like these blocks that will only vote for a Democrat, no matter what, or only vote for a Republican. So the the two major parties, I feel like, have tried to entrench themselves a lot into those specific communities to the point where it's like if you are a Democrat that gets elected in, in say, like what, what might be called a red state or a major Republican state, a lot of that will go to, they'll look at the stats, we'll look and say, okay, well, what's the, the block that pushed them over the edge, right? And so a lot of times, black women, right? In the case of like a lot of the races that were won in Georgia, you look at Stacey Abrams, the work that she did. So I think that that has been a big push, whereas like, you know, the Republicans are trying to see what they can pull out because if they can reduce the uh, the percentage of black vote, the Democrats, they have a better chance of winning. And whereas the Democrats need the, if Democrats don't get the black vote, they don't win at all. Like, it's, it doesn't happen. Like, there's no bypassing that. Um, it doesn't necessarily guarantee them a win, but they mm-hmm. can't win without it, right? And okay. then the other part is that um, if you look at all the things that, are, that people really consider cool about America, more often than not, it comes down to black culture. Right. If you look in the 60s and the 50s and the 40s, other countries that were looking at America for being cool, it was because of jazz music, which is a black invention. If you look at the, the 60s and the 70s, it was rock and roll, which was invented by black people. Right. Mm-hmm. If you look at like now in the 90s and the 2000s and so on, it's hip hop. Right. And that is a black creation. So all these things, like when you think about coolness and you would try to associate with America, you really think about black culture. Yeah. And so, like, if you're an older person, you're trying to get people to vote for you because really, like, our politics are really mostly run by older, like, white men, 60 plus, and, you know, but in order for them to get people to vote, they need the youth to come out on some level. And so the only way you would get the youth is with popularity, which is, in my opinion, hip hop. So mm-hmm. that's why. Oh, boy. And yet, black people in America constantly get the short end of the stick. Mm-hmm. Like, constantly. Black people that don't necessarily fit that mold because when you... I mean, obviously, Biden is, is saying these things like, you, you know, you're not black if you don't vote Democrat because there's, there's always been this connotation that it, when you're black, you vote for the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. there is a huge, like, there's huge backlash that we've seen when black people even entertain the thought publicly of date, I was supposed to say dating Republican, voting <laughs> Republican. <laughs> that could be problematic too. <laughs> like, you know, so wh- why do you think there's such like extreme backlash? I know it's a trauma response, but you give insight into like, why are we, why, why does black Twitter literally is is set on fire when a black person is like, you know, I'm a huge fan of Trump or, you know, I don't I don't like Biden. Like, why do you think there is such a seething hate for those black people? I would say it, it, it's a case by case basis, but I would I would probably say link it to the idea that there's a lot of very inflammatory things that that have been said against black culture. Right. By people like Trump. And a lot of this stuff is, is Trump specific, but then some of it is also has been maybe underneath the, the, the ground for some time now, uh, whether it was during George Bush or during when Nixon was running for office and he had what's called Southern strategy, which mm-hmm. is essentially to, to invoke a lot of racial stereotypes, like the, uh, the welfare queen really for the longest time, as long, if you can get, uh, majority white men to vote for you, then you had a pretty good chance of winning. Mm-hmm. And I think as that has changed, as xenophobia has risen in America where you have immigrants and you have all these different people that don't fit that mold, uh, in a lot of respects, the Republican, not just the, well, both parties have used that to their advantage. And I think that for the most part, Republicans have leaned more towards the white male kind of dominant, uh, hegemony when it comes to, to politics mm-hmm. um whereas the 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 democrat party has tried to lean uh to more of um, a multiracial uh party now yeah. there are some, it doesn't make the democrats perfect because they've definitely done a lot of things 
um, that have that have hurt, quite frankly, black people, right? Oh yes. Um, but they, I think, a lot of black people say, well, you know, they, they're willing to. They think that the Democratic Party has good intentions and they've stated good intentions about helping the black community, whereas uh, the the idea of the Republican Party is really skewed towards. Um, I would say that it's it's skewed towards uh, white kind of like kind of like pick yourself up by by your bootstraps thinking, and it doesn't take into consideration the struggles in the whole that black people might show up in. That's why I think sometimes you can see black people who have been empowered in their own countries mm-hmm. when they come here. The mentality is about. Well, you know what? If we can, if we can do it, why aren't you doing it? And not looking at the whole context of where well, these people, you know, have been oppressed and continue to be oppressed, oppressed in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. So when a black person comes out and says, "Well, yeah, you know, I support Trump, or I support the Republican Party," I think a lot of people feel like in order to get to that point, you have to jump over a lot of things and forget a lot more things with the Republican mm-hmm. Party where they are now to get there versus with the Democratic Party. Yes, like they. A lot of people say that in terms of like the, the evils that have come from both parties, mm-hmm. most black people feel that the, a lot more evils skewed in the more recent past mm-hmm. to Republicans versus Democrats. So, on one hand, I, I sort of see their point, but on the other hand, I'm like, I feel like the biggest problem that we have as a society is that we, we only believe that there's two, there's either this or that. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think that di- like no dialogue can happen when there's only two ways of thinking. Right. And so we're obviously always going to be at loggerheads if, if we only believe that there is, you're, you're either conservative or you're liberal. Like there is no gray area. And I think that's the biggest issue with America is that everyone just feels like I, I, I'm either on this side or I'm on that side. There's no background yeah. and dialogue can't happen in the black and white area. Right. And I think if you really actually like study black people in general, you would find that in a lot of ways they might actually be more conservative mm-hmm. than than white people, right? Like they're black people are more likely to go to church than white, people, right? Um, than or to, to go to any kind of religious offering on based upon their their beliefs, which and religions for the most part tend to be more conservative versus you know the, the general population. That affects all of that as well, you know. Like, but to your point, like it's it's not. We don't actually live in a dichotomous world. Like you can have, you can be liberal on certain things, and you can be conservative on other things. And I think, unfortunately, the U.S. is that we're having a two-party system. It doesn't allow for that gray area that you're talking about. You know, you kind of like pick. It's like pick a team, and that's that's your team. You can never like betray your team. Yes, and I think the word conservative has been demonized because <laughs> I thought of myself as more conservative than I am liberal in in terms of like how I carry myself Mm -hmm. like I'm very much like "Mm, no not like this like that kind of Mm -hmm. thing like I have more I'm more traditional in that way I'm a very Ugandan person but then when I started to see how it's like it's like almost demonic to say that you are a conservative it's like why can't i be both i can i can be traditional but at the same time you know i'm pro-choice the moment you say conservative people are like "Mm -hmm, she's she's over on the dark side do you think some people have said like that black people if enough black people join the republican party that you know it will effect or affect real change what do you think of that? Do you think if, if Black will all gather and just flood the Republican Party that they can make real changes in America? Uh, I don't know about that. I think it's too gang-oriented. It's almost like saying if enough Crips became Bloods, then the situation would change. And I think that there are a lot more, unfortunately, strongly held beliefs. It's not even beliefs, to be honest with you. I think sometimes it becomes to a point where like people just root for their team, right? If 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 you're a Democrat, no matter what, you know, Joe Biden, you have to say, you have to agree with everything that Joe Biden says. Whereas the truth is really, you can be conservative to your point, like personally, 
but then you can be liberal about how other people's rights you, right? You can be, um, when it comes to economics, right? You might be like, you know, well, I want a balanced budget, you know, but maybe I like the, but the money that I want spent should not be going to the military, should be going to build schools and hospitals. And, and roads and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So th- there is there is such a lack of nuance mm-hmm. throughout the situation that I I feel like it's it's not really even about the topics when you talk about Republicans and Democrats and conservatives and like it's just people line up to a team, right? And so I'm not sure that like that adding more people to that team or the crossover actually fixes anything because the dynamic unfortunately is just about we need to fight. As opposed to like, yes, these, these are like the ideals that I, that I believe, but like, if I, if there's something out there that I don't believe, I'm not going to put myself out there for it. You know, like yeah. if, if the Democrats say, let's do this, but I think it's a stupid idea, I'm going to say it's a stupid idea whether I'm a Democrat or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And that's true. I think the Republicans, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think their mission is to like preserve white supremacy. And I don't think that black people being saturated in their party accomplishes that. Yeah. I mean, it, well, in certain ways it does actually. If the, because if you have, because what happens is the people that go to that side aren't mm-hmm. going to that side with a lot of black liberation theology or anything like that. They're, they almost go there and you have someone like Candace Owens. And where like you'll perpetuate what is already going on that side. She's not going in there to make change from the inside out. Like how you say, like you know what, if you want to be the change, then you go and you work for the law for the for the police department, and you're and you're the one that's being a good example. That's different, I think, mm-hmm. versus like you know going into a party where you know you get thrown, you get laughed out because what's actually happening right now in the Republican Party mm-hmm. is that people that were. You know, like stalwarts and, and like respected within the Republican Party have been chased out. You know, you look at uh, John McCain, who was the Republican presidential nominee in twenty in two thousand eight against Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. You know, when he got into a spat with Trump, a lot of Republicans casted away John McCain. You know, and, and made it look like he was this this traitor and all these things because it became about identity politics. It wasn't really about what he believed, you know, and, and having a pure heart. So, yeah. And John McCain is, is an interesting one because the, the reception was weird to me. Like it was weird how, you know, on one hand, I'm told that he voted. I don't know if, how true this is because I didn't do any research, but I, I read he voted against a, Obamacare. So essentially, when uh, when Trump first got in office, one of the things he, he uh, ran on was removing Obamacare, right? Uh, but it had already been voted in uh, several times. Republicans have been trying to kill it for a long time. So it got to the Senate, and I think they just needed one vote. And John McCain went in and basically voted to keep uh, Obamacare. And as a result of that, he got a lot of backlash. Like he, because he, well, John McCain was fighting cancer at the time. He came back to vote to shut that down to make sure that Obamacare stayed in place. And that didn't serve him well with Trump and his supporters. And to be clear, Obamacare is just like OHIP, but for Americans, correct? No, not quite. No, it's just, what, what is Obamacare? Obamacare is essentially, um, it allows for uh, people to have insurance. It, it's a requirement for everyone to have insurance. And so the idea was to get everybody, as many people on insurance as possible, because if that, you have more people, you can, in an ide- in an ideal world, bring down the cost of coverage. Mm-hmm. And so, um, where you either like, you either had coverage or if you didn't have coverage, you got taxed. Right. And so it, the idea was like, if you go into the emergency room, everyone has some kind of coverage. Then also make it a little bit more affordable. For, for, uh, for people to take away things like pre-existing conditions. So in the past, before, an insurance company could deny you coverage if you had a pre-existing condition. Like, let's say you have cancer. You can't get insurance. Forget about it. So they removed that. Um, they allowed uh, kids to stay on their, uh, their parents' insurance for a longer period of time. Um, they opened it up to where um, people could, because before, insurance costs were so much higher. So mm-hmm. the idea was to bring down the cost and to increase the amount of people on insurance. 
So, like, in America, when you have, like, flu, do you just... Or not even... Flu is too minimal. But say you had, like, a a fever. Do a lot of people just choose to be like, mm, I'll just treat this with lemon and ginger because of how expensive yeah. it is, like, to go to the clinic? Yeah. Even something as simple as, like, this childbirth. You know, we have I've had two children born in the U.S. and one born mm-hmm. in Canada. And the bill in the U.S. was crazy compared to the bill in Canada. I think I paid $200. And that's just because we wanted to have a private room. That's it. You mm-hmm. know, so uh, whereas you can go broke. If you get sick or have the wrong kind of illness in the U.S., you can go bankrupt quite easily. It doesn't take much. So it's... Do they ask for the money? Like, they'd be like, okay, now you have given but our money. Like, how do they... No, they'll, they'll they'll let you do it, but then like they they'll they'll send you a bill. It depends on what it is though too. Like certain things, the hospital has like they'll first determine like this is something we can do. But once you go to the emergency room, they have to treat you. They'll treat you, but then they'll send you with a bill. Where it's like, what can you do? Or like if it's on like prescription drugs, you have cancer drug where you have to take twenty pills a month. Each pill is a thousand dollars. How are you how are you coming up with twenty thousand dollars a month to pay for this? So you just have to, sorry to say, but you just have to die, kind of, if you don't have money. It happens on a regular. Like, it's all the time. Because it's 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 a for-profit system. Oh, that's worse than Uganda. Kind of. In certain aspects. I mean, I think that the drug prices might be cheaper in Uganda. Mm-hmm. Um, but access to good quality health care, I think, is obviously superior in the U.S. It's just, it, it will cost you. For sure. Like, I, I don't know. Of course, in Uganda, you had to pay for everything in, when it comes to, but it wasn't like, it, it, it was also not extravagantly priced. I'm also yeah. speaking from a perspective of someone who could afford it. So maybe for people that can't afford the healthcare would have you know, other opinions, but I found that, like, even when I, I, I got typhoid <laughs> while I was in Uganda, because I, I went and had this drink that I used to have growing up. Passion fruit? No, it's called Kashera. It's like, oh, yeah. It's old, it was in a cavera, which is plastic bag for those who don't know. Mm-hmm. And I drank, I enjoyed, I had my mandazi, but yeah, I got typhoid the next day was deathly ill my bill it was like it was really expensive but it also like it was like okay i can afford this whereas i find in the u.s like i was listening to this pod trevor noah has a podcast and he said like he went for a root a root canal and he came out and his bill was like four thousand dollars and i'm like that is crazy to me my teeth have never cost that much money right yeah I can't imagine how much it costs like when you're admitted in a hospital in America. It's it's just ridiculous. But let's switch gears. Um so when I was growing up in Uganda, the idea that my parents had my parents grew up during uh Idi Amin. Mm-hmm. And so by this time Museveni had been president. And so the idea was that like there was no need to vote. Because, hey, we had Idi Amin, now we have Museveni, it's a blessing. Mm-hmm. Even though Museveni had been president longer than any Anyone. other. Yeah, and mm-hmm. he's still president. But like for, for me, there was no need. There was sort of like, there's no need to vote. You just relax, you don't rock the boat, and you should be okay. That's the sense I got from politics in my household. Mm. What was your... What was your sense of politics growing up? Um, it's interesting. Like my my uh, dad is an attorney, so um, he was um, actually in. He had happened to work in the, the oldest black law firm in New Orleans, mm-hmm. and he uh, was involved. Not like some of the, the partners at his firm were running for political office, like the mayor of, of uh, New Orleans. Um, Actually, two mayors of New Orleans he worked with, um, as well as um, at one time a senate, uh, the, the senator from New Orleans. So there was a family, a political family. So we we'd gone to events, but my dad was never the one to tell me this is what you should believe or this is. Um, I just was. I became 
curious and interested in politics just by being around it. So watching, um, like the, the returns, like at, at, uh, when someone was running, you know, on the election night or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't, but we, I would not say they were highly political, but I would hear like my dad maybe speak to his friends or relatives about certain things. But it was never something where I felt like I was told, hey, you know, like this is what you believe, what you, what we believe. It was never about that or even about the concept of voting. Um, mm-hmm. my mom worked, uh, polls for, for on election day. Uh, but it was never anything much more than that, you know? So, so how did your, because, you know, at, at the beginning you said that you are a, politics junkie how did you become interested and passionate about politics and to really to the point of like coming to talk about the black vote yeah um i would say when i got to college like i I, um i I actually started out as a computer science major uh, but i had taken a political science class and it was interesting and just understanding and going to what we call a private white institution, um, as opposed to an HBCU or historically black college university. Uh, I, I ended up going to both, but when I first got to, to school and having some of these conversations with my peers in class and hearing like kind of how they thought about it. Cause if you think about like growing up in New Orleans and even in, um, in going to school in Uganda, I'd been around a lot of people that probably thought a lot closer to what I thought. And mm-hmm. so having these debates in class about, you know, things that we disagreed upon and also going to school during the, um, September 11th and the, the rise of the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq. For me, you know, like having those conversations with other classmates and debates, um, kind of made me more about it to the point where I changed my major to political science mm-hmm. and, uh, economics because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to study law at one point. I thought I was going to go to law school. And so I was like, well, you know, this is very interesting. And just reading the history of how we got there, understanding this black um, or African-American social thought, um, all these different theories and, and the philosophies that were behind it, I think it really finally tuned my mind to, like, I couldn't get enough of it. And then, like I said, we, like, during I was growing up during a very highly politicized time uh, mm-hmm. where George Bush had just gotten elected. So my first... The first time I could vote was in 2004, uh, with John Kerry against John, uh, against George Bush. So the, obviously everything, like, as I was getting to a point where I could vote, um, had been 2000 with Bush v. Gore, where it was a contested election and all these different things. And it was in the news constantly mm-hmm. to a point where it's like, you can't avoid it, I felt like. And so, and then, you know, being obviously a lover of hip hop, they talk about it a lot, you know, whether it's KRS-One or Nas or Tupac. Those are the people that I listen to, and that influenced how I thought about people. And you can't, you get to a point where you can't avoid it, you know? Right. Uh, so whether it's sports, you know, Muhammad Ali or whatever. So it was infused in me throughout all of my experiences, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it's it's important, it's almost like, life or death for black people to be political like do you think there is like do black people really have they they, they don't have the privilege of white people to just kind of be like eh, i don't really like politics or do you think that we have the choice of being like we we don't want to be involved like do black people have a responsibility to be consciously black which is essentially be political I think so because we operate at the margins, right? I think mm-hmm. that um, if if a, if a white person, if their candidate uh, doesn't get elected, it it may or may change a lot depending on where they are economically. But from the the, con- the context of their their vote being taken away or their ability to operate or function in in society is not at risk in the same way that black people's uh, votes are or the things, because they didn't really, a lot of them didn't have to fight to get those votes if you were a white man. If you're a white woman, yes. But even that is a dichotomy of how that happened when you look at race. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So for for black people, like, I feel that we are constantly uh, at threat of losing these things and losing rights like that. Um, and because of the fight that we took to get there, I think it's really important that we exercise our voice, whatever that might be, you know, or how you interpret uh, society at that particular time of life. Um, can we talk about, because I want to talk about two things. So first, the difference in which society kind of takes someone like Candace Owens mm-hmm. um, and somebody like Condoleezza Rice. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you could some people could argue that, you know what, Candace Owens is a troll. She's always trolling. Today, she's mm-hmm. talking about you know, being trans is misogynistic or sometimes she's saying like, she's always saying ridiculous things. And it's like, I don't even have an issue with Candace Owens being Republican. I just feel like she's always going under my nerve. <laughs> like just saying, <laughs> She's always saying these ridiculous things. Uh-huh. And I just, I don't understand. But then you have women like, Condoleezza Rice, who are also Republican, um, but I don't see the same backlash. I also don't feel like I want to slap Condoleezza Rice. Right. Why do you think that is? Like, why is there a hierarchy in these women? Because they're both, you know, Republicans, essentially. Yes, but, you know, there's a saying, like, sometimes I would just say it's how you say it. And I think part of it, too, is, well, number one, I think Candace Owens is a lot more outspoken than Candace Owens is. Candace Owens, for for me, for lack of a better term, is a troll. Like, she says things um, for attention and to, and for things, she's not actually, doesn't feel like she's trying to get anything done. She's looking for a response. Whereas with Condoleezza Rice, I can actually understand why she's a Republican, because she grew up in Alabama. Her friends uh, were actually um, that she that she went to church with actually were died as a result of a uh, KKK bombing in in uh, Birmingham. It's actually a very famous uh, church that was bombed by these uh, by the, the Ku Klux Klan. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Ku Klux Klan, a lot of the members at the time when she was growing up in the fifties and sixties, were um, they were Democrats, like mm-hmm. like they were. Wow. They, at, at that point, so a lot of people growing up in the South at that time, the rate, the racial stuff that was coming around was from Democrats. You know, the, the shift in terms of um, party and, and like kind of favoritism towards, I think, uh, black culture has shifted over the last sixty or so years. Mm-hmm. But at that point, there was Southern Democrats, right? And it wasn't until um, kind of Nixon and Reagan that a lot of them actually started like just saying, you know what, I'm no longer Democrat and started moving on to the Republican Party. So there was a major shift um, mm. in, in that. And so, but so, there were a lot of people that hold on because if you think about it, when um, after the Civil War with the emancipation population, when mm. a lot of black people went into, when they were given the right to vote, and like that in 1870 with the first Civil Rights Act, majority of them were, were Republicans because the Republicans were the party of Lincoln. They were the part of the abolitionists. They were against slavery and all that. Um, but then it, the parties started changing and you had people that were, there were Democrats in name only. Um, and there were, or Republicans in name only. Like, so there were, when the civil rights act w- was, was done, it wasn't like, to be a Democrat didn't necessarily mean that you were thinking about it from a racial perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, some mostly it was from an economic perspective. The racial thing started to grow and grow um, in the sixties and the seventies and, and throughout to the point where you know the people that were you thought were like Democrats became Republicans, Republicans became Democrats in a lot of different ways. Oh, that's really interesting. Um... That I I had no idea. So yeah. for Condoleezza Rice, <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. Um, I just you know first I just need Ca- Candace Owens to get better weave. 
That's number one. I need her to. It's so hard to like listen to her talk the big talk when she when her weave is dry. I'm like, think, but how much of that do you think is is just about is performative and where she's looking just for an audience and because it's it is uh, of convenience so that she can make money for herself because she makes money from all this stuff, right? But it's so like Danny. It, there's not. There's no sense in what she's saying. She will have a post, and it's like tr- telling me to use your pronouns is misogynistic. How? Like, <laughs> there's no sense in what you're saying. And with your dirty weave too, it's so annoying. It's like, oh, I, I just. I find her highly irritating. I I would love for, and and I feel like that's the trend. It's like every time a black person is re, is a Republican, they have to be like out of this world, like mad, like Utabika crazy, <laughs> to the point where I cannot even reason with you. I can't, and I don't know if that's the job of the media that's doing that. Or it's me because I find like last year I, I was watching a lot of CNN, like a lot, a lot. Mm-hmm. Like at 8 p.m. I was watching Anderson Cooper, 9, that man who's always shouting, what's his name? Chris Cuomo. Mm-hmm. Um, 10, Don Lemon, and then 11, Don Lemon again. And mm-hmm. then 12, Trevor Noah. So I was watching so much of American politics and I realized something about CNN. They, they repeat things like a bajillion times. Yeah. So Don Lemon will be like, coming up, Trump calls, uh, what's his name? Fauci, a bastard. Yeah. And then he'll come back in five minutes. Why Trump called Fauci a bastard. And then they'll repeat that message over and over and over again. And you can imagine when you're watching CNN like the entire day uh-huh. you form an opinion and it's the same thing that Fox does except Fox again they are they're like on crack so uh-huh. I don't know what is the difference between the two like these two part. I'm assuming CNN is more democrat leaning um, at least that's what it seems like yeah, I mean, I would say that there is uh, definitely, there's a, a media bias towards uh, the left. Um, I tend to agree with a lot of that stuff, so I don't t- um, necessarily see an issue with it. However, I feel that the right has done a phenomenal job of building their own mainstream for their, for their viewers and their listeners. So, yeah, CNN will have that. They might have some conservative voices on at times to, to give a different side, but controversy sells. So, the re- like, CNN wasn't like this when I was growing up, right? Um, yeah. even, even, like, the Fox News has, I feel like as they got more um, slanderous with some of the things that they would say, they recognized that it would drive viewership. And, yeah, you might get some backlash every now and then, but at the end of the day, it's about profit, and that's what these 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 uh media networks are looking for. If if you get viewership, if you have people like they know that every time they get the red meat, they're gonna watch. Then the, the these media networks are gonna keep serving up red meat, whether it's talking about Trump twenty four seven, or you know talking about another you know scandal, you know talking about Bill Clinton, or you know or, you know it's just. It's unfortunate that it's not, they're not really trying to feed us, uh, healthy options for intaking what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. They're feeding us, uh, things that like kind of lead us to our lowest common denominator, which is reality TV, really. Yes, that's the thing. Like, um, I, I guess maybe I put too much on CNN, but I realized like the fact that you, you know, it's repeated a hundred and one times. It's like, are you guys trying to like hypnotize me <laughs> into yeah. 
having a certain perspective and do you think that that affects how people i don't know people see their politics yeah because and the thing is a lot, a lot like a lot of politics come from where people say won't even say things they believe or they'll just they'll deny the sky's blue because they know that they'll have a bunch of people come that's why things like QAnon are so huge mm-hmm. right because it you know if if someone can tell you this one thing and you'll follow it like that and they'll just keep going they'll keep going they'll keep it's it's not even about news anymore like the only like 24 hour news that we had going up was called i think it was like headline 24 mm-hmm. but like and you got your news at like 5 or 6 p.m you know and then you go on with your day like you'd watch a show you know you might watch sports or something but like with all of this stuff where it's like you can have news on all day and they're talking about the same thing. Like it's break, everything is breaking news. Yes. And it's, uh, it's like, it's in your face. And that's why I stopped. I literally just cold turkey had to stop watching, you know, yeah. CNN. Yeah. At least, yeah, like Don Lemon. Don Lemon was the one who was like, repeat banange. Like, <laughs> I'm like, you have already said it. I, I mm-hmm. got it. <laughs> like, but I had to like stop watching because I'm like, oh my gosh, these people—they're trying to like bewitch me into mm-hmm. believing whatever it is that they want me to believe, whatever that is. And then you have so that's why I don't think like when they're over when they're on CNN, you know, being like, well, at least we're not like Tucker and Hannity. I think you're just like a a different it's like I think CNN is acceptable and I think that they're not as cross as Fox News is but I yeah, think that they're using the same method to to reach their audiences. Yes, I think that they they they're almost shock jocks like whereas like Fox News will say crazy things that don't make any kind of sense. Yes. Um but CNN, even MSNBC, they will they will sensationalize everything mm-hmm. to make you feel like everything is like the even the regular stuff is like is on this whole different level. So I think that you're right. They use similar methods, um, even if uh, I feel that one probably creates or fabricates the truth on a different kind of level. Oh, for sure. Like, there's this, what, what is that woman's name? Laura Eng- Ingram? Eng- mm-hmm. Ingram? Whatever the hell her name is. Yeah. She says, like, things that are out of this planet. Like, <laughs> like you're just like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, especially during COVID, I was like, are these people? And then, the thing that I love the most is they will turn around as if they did not say that. They'll be like, yeah, we never said this. Yeah. That didn't happen. I'm like, but you're on video. Right. So do you want to believe me or you're lying ears? And it's, and the thing is, that's why they appeal to, to mud people. I don't understand. I just, it's so fascinating to me. Like, so the issue is not that you're a Republican. It's that you're just, I think it's been reduced to like when people think of Republican, they think Trump, they think Hannity, they think Tucker, and I don't know if I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but it's it's a hot ass mess for sure. Yes. Um, the last thing I want to discuss is moving forward. You are raising three black children. Yes. Boys, especially. Um, do you ever think, like, is that ever, first of all, is that scary? Because I know it's a fear that I have. Like, I've almost been like, let me have black daughters so then life will be a little bit easier. But, um, is that really scary? Like, you know, because you're going to have to, if you haven't started teaching them already, but you're, you're sort of, you're going to have to start teaching them how to navigate their way in the world being black males. Yeah. I mean, like just in their lifetimes alone, I mean, they've seen Freddie Gray. They've seen Trayvon Martin. They've seen George Floyd. They've seen Breonna Taylor. They've seen all these different instances. So we've had the talk, you know, 
talk that a, a lot of uh, parents of, of black children have had to have about, you know, how you interact with authority, whether it's a police or, you know, whoever, um, when, when you're stopped, when you're in that kind of situation, you know, just making sure that the number one thing is to make it home, you know, and like if, if someone is like you, you almost have to teach them in certain ways to be docile, right? Because white parents don't have to tell their kids about how to, to interact with police because they're the ones that are going to talk back. And it's like, and for us, you know, you almost have to teach your kids like, yeah, you know, even though, you know, they will, you know, they'll treat you like crap for whatever. Um, you have to make sure that you make it home. And so we've had those conversations um, and we continue to have those conversations. So yeah, raising a black child, especially uh, ones that have a nexus to the United States where it's even more dangerous. You know, all you have to do is maybe walking down the street um, for you to be accosted for whatever reason. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, 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 it's absolutely scary, you know, and the fear never goes away, you know, um, no matter how, how old it is. Like, I mean, there's always a reason. Like, your child, like, there are so many black families where their kids have been shot in the back or they've been shot in their own home, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's a constant, like, a refresh of, hey, this is how you handle yourself. This is what happens because it's, it's the biggest fear. And, and you almost feel like, it's a guarantee because if I speak with all my friends, yeah, we have all had some kind of interaction like that um, with police. My friends in the U.S., I should say, with mm-hmm. police, um, where either it was it turned violent or the a gun was pulled or something like that. It's more common, I think, people even understand. So my worry sometimes is not if, but when that happens, which is even scary. And so how do you balance teaching your child, your black child, how to, you know, be that upright person, that one that stands up for themselves and, like, doesn't take bullshit, but at the same time, make sure that you don't get killed? How do you balance the two? I'm, you keep, like, I'm not sure if there's an actual science to that. Like, it's, it's one, of the, it's an art because we, uh, yeah, you, you want to raise them to be, to have self-esteem and to think highly of themselves and be proud of where they come from, who they are, mm-hmm. and breathe that kind of life into them. Um, but, ver- but you juxtapose that against the very real reality that when they walk into a situation, that doesn't matter, you know, yeah. and have, and so you try to teach them discernment about when to, to stick your chest out, when to be proud, pr- uh, proud of where you are and when to understand the situation and realize, you know what, um, the value is what, what, what is the goal? The goal is to get through this particular situation mm-hmm. and then move on, you know, and you speak in different ways and live to fight another day, you know, it, it's, it sucks because we like this is something that's specific to us. Yeah, I that is whew, that's scary. Um, I know it's something I don't have children, but um, it's uh, I almost wonder if I want to have children because I'm like, those are really how do you even do you do you guys go and be like, okay, let's have a family meeting. Or are you, is it when like you're watching something? Like, how do you bring, cause your kids are pretty young. I think they're under 15, right? Yeah, I have a 13, somebody 14 year old, and I have an 11 year old. Uh, yeah, so have um, honestly, no, we, we, we tried to expose them. Like, we, we made them see, uh, when they see us. Uh, oh, I still haven't them. seen that, but I'm so it's like. Tough. It's tough. It's, it's oh. hard to watch, but we, mm-hmm. um, but it was, it was about the, the central part five. Mm-hmm. And understanding that situation, like we, 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 yeah, we've had family meetings where we say, Hey, look, like, you know, ask us what you think. Like, tell us what you're thinking about it. What if you guys discuss with your friends? Mm-hmm. Um, we're, you know, we're, we're, like I said, trying to make sure we're coaching them to understand, um, and be discerning in, in, in those kind of situations. So, yeah. <sighs> I mean, I, I hate to end on that, uh, a little bit of a sad note. But I'm happy, I'm happy that, you know, you're having that 
conversation, especially because you guys are Ugandan parents. Yeah. Um, for me, the talk I got was like, you're black, and when you go outside, you have to know you're black. And that was the end of that. It was like, you know. More context, please. (laughs) (laughs) When we moved here, that was the first thing that, especially with my, I have two brothers. I have two older brothers. My mother was always like, please, I beg you in the name of God. You are black and you're black boys. This is how you're perceived in the world. And, and I think for a long time, it was kind of, it kind of damaged my self-esteem. Cause yeah. you know, when you grow up in Uganda, like you, you don't think about those things. We're all black. What's to get? I like, hmm. yeah. And, when we, the only things that came up were maybe tribalism, but even that was like, it. it's more so with the older crowd who are, who tend to be like, you're this, you're that. But for right. us as kids, like, I never had to think about the fact that I was black. And here I was first day in Canada. My mother is like, white people hate us. <laughs> so you're going to have to live in a way um that is not threatening to them but okay. i also realized like how my mother raised us like to always be like proper was like a response to you know colonialism that mm. we a conversation we had later on as an adult and she she always said you know i had to prepare you for the world cuz you're you're black children right and you, you know, the less black you are, the less African you are, the less Ugandan you are, the easier life will be. Yeah. And uh, I'm wondering, have your parents ever had, did they ever have like the talk with you, the same talk that you have, have had to have with your children? What I would say is that uh, my, my mom, I feel like was always best. She would tell us that, uh, you every time you walk out here, you have two strikes against you. You're black and you're a black male, mm-hmm. uh, and so, um, and so the, the third strike doesn't take much, you know. But every time you walk out of here, th- this is what it is. And unfortunately for them, they were also immigrants, so they weren't they weren't used to uh, United the racism in, in North America or even like in the Deep South mm-hmm. where we grew up. Um, so they didn't understand what we were going through with school, um, or, you know, they can only kind of relate what they saw. And even then it was different, you know, being an adult where you lived a certain way for like, you know, 20 some odd years. Mm-hmm. Whereas for us, we're this, this is like the, the developmental stage for us, like where we're, everything we're seeing for the first time. So you, you, should, how you identify yourself is really important at that age. So I don't think they were prepared to kind of coach us in the way that we are now. But, you know, I, I learned things from my mom, to your point, like to saying, hey, like this is the unfortunate truth. You know, you're, you have two strikes against you. Mm-hmm. So, but using that not as something to like fall back on, but something like as a, as a hurdle for you to get over and to, to be successful in spite of all that. Yeah. Um, how do you self-care in spite of all of these things? How do you make sure that you're still, you know, being your best, being your best, but also constantly reminding yourself that it it is, it is a blessing to be black and I'm proudly black. How do you make sure that that is not deemed out by, you know, all these things that white people have put in place to, you know, tell us that we're nothing just because we're black? To me, I try to dive into, into black excellence, right? Whether it's talk, whether it's introducing, um, people to kids' lives like Mansa Musa, right? Mm-hmm. Or, um, or even like talking about the, the people in the current day, like Jay-Z or Barack Obama or Megra Evers, like just like talking or talking about like the advent of things that we have now, you know, whether it's inventions or things like mathematics. And showing them the greatness of who they are, where they come from, and reminding them, hey, look, like, this is where you come from. You don't, you're not, you know, you're not a slave. You know, you're not, for lack of a better word, you're not a nigger, right? Like, you are 
all these things and like trying to reinforce those things um into them so that they're they're constantly reminded and they have a vision of what black excellence is and they're not just being fed the eurocentric vision of what it means to be successful or good mm-hmm. yeah i like it i love to see it. denny thank you so much no problem i mean um i want to have you back um i want to talk about black men and who better to talk about it than a black man <laughs> so um there are some questions i have you I'm, know. I'm about it <laughs> you know the time and the place yeah, but thank you for coming. This was a great conversation. And please come back. Let's talk about the black man. Will do. Thank you. As long as we talk about with black women, it's even more interesting. I mean, we always talk about black women, but I'm really trying to understand black men. Like, what's going on? Especially on Twitter. Okay, I'll, I'll, bring, I'll bring a few of my friends this time. Yeah, because I need to understand what is going on on Twitter. Because we've just had this conversation, and I'm like, wow, this is not the same conversations I see on Twitter about oh. politics. Oh, yeah. I'm like, who are who are these black men that I'm seeing on my phone? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> now I'm like, let's let's have that conversation. But um, thank you for coming. Guys, we will see you next week.